Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, happy Halloween. I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 248 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Ben Hudson about how he used his firm's core values to recover from a bad hire and get to the right person. Today's podcast is brought to you by LawWorks, SaneBox, Alert Communications, and Ross Intelligence. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Hey, happy Halloween, Sam. Thanks. Happy Halloween. And now I'm finding myself wondering what costume Ben Hudson is wearing today, because he seems like a dresser upper. I was going to ask you, are you dressed up? (laughs) We are obviously not recording this on Halloween. One of my favorite things to do is just dress up with a wig and then sit there with the bowl of candy in my lap and then move and scare kids when they go to reach for candy because they can't figure out if I'm real or not. (laughs) That sounds hysterical. (laughs) It's my cruel Halloween prank. (laughs) I love it. What are you going to be dressed up as? Um, Probably nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You should get a costume shirt so you can cheat. Yeah. I don't know. My husband's really into dressing up and I'm kind of not. I feel, well, you know me, so you know, like I feel this pressure like to have a good costume. And so then I'd have to go all out and then it feels like too much. And then I just do nothing. My wife was, her mom had made all of her costumes. And so for a while she was determined to sew all of our kids' costumes. And she made some really adorable, amazing costumes like Caroline was a chubby little owl one year and it was the cutest freaking thing in the world but then she gave up and it turns out the kids just want to dress up as things anyway so i've got a crow and a sloth this year yeah and i have an inflatable unicorn <laughs> I, I googled it it looks like it's basically the same concept as like the t-rex costume yeah yeah she saw it she was going to be like the devil or something until she saw a picture of it and then completely switched (laughs) which is also why i always wait to buy the costume if i have Mm -hmm. to buy things because they do like to change their mind at least mine does well i'm sure abigail does is alexandra not a week goes by and rarely a day goes by that she doesn't talk about what she's going to be for halloween next year and caroline has already told me what she's going to be next year after the sloth this year so i don't even know there's a lot of planning that goes into this. I guess the bigger question is, are you giving out some premium candy at your house? <laughs> you know, I'm a chocoholic and it is obvious to me and I'm sure other people have other opinions that are wrong. But Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Kit Kats are the best candy, bar none. And so I will focus on those. But then I will bury those under the cheaper candy so that hopefully we give out all the other candy first. And then I can eat all the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Kit Kats. Nice. My next door neighbor is known in the neighborhood and we have a very popular trick-or-treating neighborhood. Like we'll get 400 kids probably. Whoa. Nice. And so the next door neighbors, they make homemade waffles all night and give the kids like a square of a waffle, (laughs) which is awesome because they kind of need something to counteract all that junk. So they have a big sign in their house, you know, they called the waffle house. So my husband's always like, we should do like fried chicken or something. (laughs) Oh my God. You'd have the best flock. We live in the South. Yeah. That'd be so good. Yeah. I want to be creative like that, but it's way easier just to go to the store and get a bag of candy. Yes, that's what we do. (laughs) Although we do have a cooler for the adults that are trick-or-treating as well. That seems correct. Yeah. Yeah. Usually somebody brings a picture of Toddy around as well. So yeah, it's a fun neighborhood night. (laughs) I suppose this is a good time for me to debunk one of my favorite things, which is your annual reminder that Halloween is the safest night of the year. Nobody puts razor blades in candy. Most of those are totally fictitious and made up. 
it is a night when lots of people are outside and lots of adults are out and nothing bad happens. So leave your paranoia at home and get out and go have fun and trick or treat in your neighborhood. And don't be a nervous ninny about needles and razors and things like that. That's not a thing. What kind of monster would do that? Are you in favor of moving it to the last Saturday of the month? Have you heard this petition? They're trying to move Halloween or I don't know who they is. Oh, so we don't have to trick or treat in the middle of the week. Yeah. They want to move it to always the Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. Why not? But, you know, my kids get candy and then get sick and then have to get up and go to school tomorrow. So whatever. That's funny, too. It's for the teachers. (laughs) I don't know about you, but we let them eat as much candy as they want on Halloween, which usually cures them of candy for a few days. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Yeah, we eat way too much ourselves. And Abigail's an only child. But so we try to trick or treat with friends because she really likes the trading that goes on afterwards. Like her favorite thing is to sit down and categorize all of it into a pile of what she likes, what she wants to trade for. It's very calculated. She gets it honestly. I'm going to keep my eye open for the circus peanut to Reese's peanut butter cup exchange rate this year. Okay. (laughs) Report back. Maybe we'll do an insider poll in the Facebook group today. Your favorite candy or costume. Let's have some fun. Love it. We've got a brief sponsored conversation with Reza Torxada from LawWorks now. And then my conversation with Ben Hudson. Hi, my name is Reza Torxadeh. I am a personal injury lawyer in California, and I am working on a project called LawWorks, which is a co-working space for lawyers. Very cool. So LawWorks is a new co-working space for lawyers, and you've tried to build it around the particular needs of lawyers and clients, which isn't how most co-working spaces are built. And so we thought we'd highlight some of the problems with traditional co-working spaces for lawyers. And the first one I can think of is the waiting room experience, where there really isn't one at your average WeWork or Industrious. You just sort of walk in, right? How is that handled at LawWorks? Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, my experience is probably similar to many other solo practitioners who had started their practice in that in the current executive sort of space model, there are either no receptionists or it's a very strange looking reception area with 30 or 40 other businesses from any industry listed there, which can leave your mm-hmm. clients pretty confused about where they're at. But at LawWorks, it's really when we thought about what we wanted the end user experience to be, it was really from the vantage point of an attorney and what their experience for their clients were going to be. LawWorks is fully staffed with the receptionist and another assistant at all times. There's beautiful waiting rooms. And so our staff is trained in that when the clients are walking in, to treat them as if they were going to an attorney's private office Hmm. and to make sure that they feel welcomed as soon as they sort of lock eyes and discover the location that they're going to. One of the other things that I've noticed about co-working spaces is they're not really built around privacy. And that includes things like mailboxes and monitors and um, even a place to drop things. If you're sort of a drop-in floater and you don't have your own dedicated office, you've even addressed things like printing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'll kind of take it all backwards. And so with the LawWorks facilities, every member, not only do you get free printing, unlimited free black and white printing, but it's secure printing. And the way that works is you send your print job to our printer and it won't start printing until you go there and swipe your ID card. Once you swipe, the printer will then 
actually print your documents so that you'll be right there to grab them so that no one else is looking at them. That's really cool. I've never heard of that before. I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. The other thing that we're doing is at all of our workstations, they're equipped with dual monitor and a docking station. So you just show up with your laptop, you connect it to our docking station, and you've got three monitors essentially, but we've got privacy screens on all the monitors. So our workstations are kind of open areas, and then the offices, they've got the same set up with the dual monitors and the docking station. We also have private lockers that our members can get. They're coded, they're locked, they're assigned to you. You can put your items in there. And we've got secure mailboxes. So if you're using our LawWorks address as your office address, your mail will go into your own secure mailbox. So you can check it when you need to and lock it back up when you grab your mail. Oh, cool. One of the things that I sort of my mantra of how to pick office space is, can people find the building? Can they find parking once they get to the building? Can they find their way to your office within the building? So how about parking options? Yeah, Sam, and you're absolutely right. And I think my experience again, and we spent a long time finding the locations for every single one and especially parking. And so parking at our Irvine location is extremely easy. It's drive up parking. And we're right across from the airport, John Wayne Airport off of MacArthur and Michael's so extremely easy building to find and parking was one of our priorities to make sure that it was really easy to park and get in and out of the building. Very cool. If you'd like to learn more about LawWorks and how it's changing the nature of co-working for lawyers, you can visit LawWorks.com. That's LawWorks.com, two W's in the middle there, and you can find the link in the show notes. There you can download a white paper about how co-working spaces can work for lawyers and about how LawWorks works, including at its first location in Irvine, California. Reza, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Hi, my name is Ben Hudson. I'm a lawyer in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We help small and medium-sized businesses with everything from startup, whether that's buying a business or starting from scratch, to structuring throughout the life of the business, and then on to succession planning, transitioning to the next generation, whatever it be. Very cool. Thanks for being with us today, Ben. Thanks, Sam. So you say we, what is the we? What is the size of the firm? What does it look like? I always say we, but I'm the only lawyer, but <laughs> we've got three other staff members here. And I always say we, because we are completely a team. I've got a corporate paralegal who is amazing and somehow reads my mind. And we also have a new girl we hired up front. We call her client coordinator, Sherry. And uh, she does intake and scheduling, collections, all of that stuff. And then my wife, Allison, works here as well. I feel like there's a whole podcast other than the one we intend to have about working with your spouse. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did. Well, we, and we just did a workshop in the lab on that, too, I guess. So that's right. You're also in lab, I should clarify, which is one of the reasons we know a fair amount about your firm and have an idea about what we want to talk about today. How's lab been for you so far? I love lab. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I finished a year and then I kept going with it because it's been so good for us. It's really helped me get everything out of my own head. I've always had a vision of what I wanted my firm to be, but it was never really that concrete until I got into lab and really had the process for that. You know, I've always had a vision of what I want my body to look like, too. But maybe if I had a personal trainer, I'd have an easier time getting that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I feel like Lav is a little bit like that. Stephanie is the personal trainer for your firm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good analogy. <laughs> maybe I'll get there on my own. Who knows? <laughs> it feels like maybe the first thing to start talking about is you had a negative experience that turned into a positive experience by figuring out how to set your core values and use them in your hiring process, right? So maybe you could give us the background for that. Sure. Yeah. So I'll go a bit farther back than you're probably thinking even, but I started out my firm on my own. I left a big firm with zero clients and started from my basement. How long ago was that? Uh, three and a half, almost four years. Okay. And uh, started from my undeveloped basement with a little space heater and a tiny laptop. And uh, <laughs> well, and when you're on your own, it's pretty you, classic. You can, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I found that you can really make up for a lack of organization with just hustle, right? When right. you're on your own. But then as you grow, it's really hard to get everything out of your head and, and really explain things properly. So I take it your clients don't need to come to your office then? that That isn't how you've structured things? Well, uh, I do have an office now. Right. And so... Now we have them come here, but I used to go to the clients a lot mm -hmm. um, and I had a space through Regis and then I kind of graduated from that space to actually sharing space in another law firm and sharing their staff. And then a couple of years ago, moved into our own space just because they kept growing with the staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but growing with staff is always, I mean, that's that's a challenge to like training them and well, hiring is its whole uh, own beast. <laughs> yeah. Who was your first hire or what position was your first hire? Paralegal. So okay. Gail, our paralegal, uh, and she had worked at one of the big firms I'd been at. Mm -hmm. We'd overlap briefly, but hadn't really worked together. She was working in another firm and uh, I got connected with her through people at the old firm. And I reached out to her. She was actually in Hawaii at the time. She emailed back immediately and was like, I'm interested. I want this job. Very cool. <laughs> I want to, want to talk to you as soon as I'm back. And she's been amazing. I mean, people use paralegal to mean a lot of different things. From the context, I'm guessing she was a pretty advanced skill paralegal who can do a lot of the work that you would need someone to do to be useful on a file. Yeah. She's honestly better than a lot of junior lawyers. Yeah. She's very advanced and she's done everything. She's worked at small firms, big firms. She's done all different areas of law. We have her working in corporate, which is mm -hmm. she's really, really good at it. And it's what she likes to do. Hmm. So, you know, anytime you can put somebody in, an, you know, an area where it's their strength and they also like it. You, you get really good results. I'm curious, how did you weather the transition from solo to being a manager and a CEO and an HR professional and a chief operations officer and all of the things that come with your first hire? Oh man, I'm still managing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. No, it's been good. Like you really are everything mm -hmm. at the beginning. Like my kids were even the janitors in our office for a little <laughs> while. <laughs> you have several kids, and, right? Yeah, I have four kids. Right. That sounds like a good way to put them to work and teach them some responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> we now have an actual cleaner and my kids are mad because they don't get paid anymore. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So uh, it's been an interesting transition because you do have one vision in your head, but then getting that out, like I was mentioning before, that is a completely different story, right? And being able to communicate that mm -hmm. and get others on board with that. And so we, we had Gail and then we hired another paralegal and she had skills. Uh, she'd been at a big firm and I made the common mistake that a lot of people make is, uh, hiring for skills and not necessarily hiring for fit. Mm -hmm. And I, looking back at it now, I knew from the first day 
that it wasn't going to work out. What were the clues or the the obvious things anyway? The obvious things, well, I can articulate it now because we've articulated our core values much better. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing against her. She's great. She's got skills. But to be a part of our firm, you have to be, uh, there's a lot of client facing work that our paralegals and staff do. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't there. And just not the drive, not the ambition. It's hard to get those things when somebody doesn't actually fit your culture. And, you know, a moment ago when I asked you, like, what didn't work, I heard your reticence to, like, badmouth a previous someone, which I totally get. We've struggled with that a bit, too, because when somebody isn't a good fit, it doesn't mean that they're a bad employee. It just means that they're a bad fit, which means that they're probably going to fail badly at the things that you need them to do, but they could succeed really well somewhere else. So it's like this, it's hard to talk about without making it sound like... Like they did a poor job. That's not actually what the problem was. Yeah, that's exactly right. And she, when I did let her go, she had a job by the next week with another lawyer who I know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I know, it's working out great. Yep. And she's doing a great job there. It's funny because I stressed about it for weeks. Like I couldn't sleep. Sure. I, How long did she last? Uh, I kept her for nine or 10 months. Yeah. So that was about nine months too long. <laughs> what yeah. finally did it for me, I had a talk with her and then uh, was going to give her some time to kind of shape up, mm-hmm. uh, which is a common thing, right? Talk to the employee, give them 30 days or so, check back in, you know, have they improved, have these things changed? Uh, so I had the talk with her. And then that week I went back and redefined our core values. I'd kind of done it before, but honestly, I, I half-assed it. Mm-hmm. Because which is easy to do, right? To dismiss core values and be like, oh, this is, you know, not that important. This is woo woo or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) I went back and actually did define our core values. And then how did you do that? I'm curious. I started brainstorming on my own and then I took it to Allison, my wife, Mm -hmm. and bounced a lot of it off her. And she helped a lot with the words because mm-hmm. I, she's very good at that. So we call her our communications director. <laughs> and so her role in the firm is take all of the legal jargon or what Ben is trying to say and turn that into plain language that everyone else can understand. That sounds super valuable actually. Yeah. And so she runs our Instagram. If you look at our Instagram account, we have people comment on it all the time and say, I love that you don't sound like a lawyer. And I always say, well, it's because it's Allison writing it. It's not a lawyer. <laughs> But she does a great job bridging that gap, Mm -hmm. which is always a tough thing because, you know, I think I'm dumbing something down and it's still too advanced. Right. And and I think that's a common thing when you're really, you're really deep into something and really knowledgeable in that area. Yeah. Although I think it was the Richard Feynman who says, if you can't explain something in simple terms, then you don't really understand it. Yeah. I guess (laughs) that's the other side of it. So when you were doing your core values, did you feel like you were setting aspirational things or that you were just stating what your values already were? A bit of both. Yeah. So some of them, I'll tell you what our core values are. Yeah. We have four core values and they spell out cred, C-R-E-D. And part, <laughs> of, that, part of that is because I like that there's an acronym and it makes it yep. easier to remember. <laughs> but the first one is candor. And I know you guys have had one of the authors, uh, one of the people from Radical Candor on. Totally. And there's a reason why we like candor instead of the word honesty. And there's a whole lot that goes into that. Yeah. Uh, that is something that we value here and we already put into practice. And so just an example of that, if I have a client who I think is doing something that they shouldn't do, I will tell them, 
very strongly that I'm advising against it. It's obviously their call in the end, but I'm not afraid to tell a client that I disagree with what they're doing. Yeah. And those are, I assume these values are internal facing too, where that also defines your relationships with your other employees. That's right. And I wasn't, so we were doing that on one front, but then I wasn't doing that with this employee. Mm -hmm. I wasn't being direct enough or open enough or communicating often enough. So in that way, it was aspirational, but was also something that was writing down something that was already in practice at the firm. The other one is reliability. And so the thing that goes along with reliability is consistency, making sure that things are on time, doing what you said you were going to do, when you said you were going to do it. And that my staff is very good at that. And I am often like most lawyers where I think I have time to get to something and don't necessarily get there. Mm -hmm. So that was for me was more aspirational, but was something that I feel is very important because the number one complaint against lawyers is my lawyer didn't get back to me. They didn't get this done on time. I can't get a hold of him. And if you're not going to hit a deadline, you know, it's the thing where you can, maybe it's not exactly reliability, but maybe it goes back to candor where giving someone a heads up in advance when you can still do something about it feels like a better approach to it that can help cure that communication problem that a lot of lawyers do have. Absolutely. And the E stands for evolving. And that is something, something that I definitely do. Uh, It stands for like always improving, always iterating. Mm -hmm. And I do that almost to a fault. (laughs) probably to the point where it drives my staff crazy. I know it drives my staff crazy where, okay, we're going to try this. Okay. Now we're going to tweak this and we're going to make it better. I'm always looking for improvement and little ways that we can change things, sometimes big ways. Yep. And then the last one is drive and ambition. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the firm, but Gail, for example, goes to exercise classes and has outside interests and hobbies. And so does Sherry and Allison at one point started her own business and It doesn't necessarily have to be, like I said, in the firm, but there has to be some kind of ambition there. Yeah. You want to see that hunger. Yeah. And Gail, I think, has it. And it doesn't mean that she wants to climb the ladder and run the firm one day. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. But she has that attitude. And the thing is that that matches up with our clients. All of our clients are small business owners and entrepreneurs. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of them would match up with most, if not all of our core values. Mm -hmm. So how did you take those and then fold them into a hiring process? So this is basically I I first took them and folded it into a staff evaluation process. Mm -hmm. And that was basically the traction model where you've got the list of core values And Mm -hmm. then you take the employee there and you go, are they a plus or a minus in this area? And it turned out that that one team member was a minus in all four. Mm -hmm. And you can't really change somebody's personality. Right. And so at that point, instead of actually waiting 30 days, it was a day or two later, I went and I let her go. Mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't going to work out, whether it was that day or 30 days later. Or, or a year later. Right. I assume that was difficult. Absolutely. But probably felt really good. <laughs> well, it did. I was really relieved, but I lost sleep over that. Like, I couldn't focus on the file work I needed to be doing. I was so stressed out right. because here's somebody, this is their livelihood. They have a family. It's really stressful. I think it was more stressful for me than it was for her. Yeah. Because she had a job a couple of days later. And it sounds that, like you both came out better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it completely changed the tone in the office as well, which was nice for the other staff members. I've found that too, that you don't really realize how much impact a bad fit is having negatively on the office until you leave and everybody kind of breathes a little bit easier and it becomes clear. That's right. It did give me though a little insight into 
you know, it wasn't just the fit. There Mm -hmm. were some things where I did some self-reflection and said, my training process isn't what it should be. My hiring process, she shouldn't have got through that. So then, yes, we did have to fold core values into the hiring process. And it's funny because Sherry, who's here now, has never worked in a law firm before. Mm -hmm. But she checks all the core values. And how long has she been there? Uh, Three months. Next week is three months. Cool. And we immediately, within two weeks, we're getting unsolicited feedback from clients telling us how much they enjoyed Sherry and how great she was, which that was amazing. Yeah. I want to put a little more description around like, I mean, obviously, if people want to know how to use core values in hiring, Traction kind of has the model. But how did, how did the interview and the hiring process look differently from the way you were doing it before? I slowed it way down, first okay. of all. So instead of an interview or two, I started talking with Sherry maybe eight or 10 months before she was actually hired. Oh, wow. Okay. And we met a bunch of times. We had her come in. We discussed core values. I did have a bit of an advantage with Sherry because I knew her outside of work Yep. before she came to work here. And I assume it, she didn't like need a job right away because a 10-month hiring process wouldn't work for most people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and lots of times I don't think it works for the firm, right? Somebody mm-hmm. leaves and you go, oh, great, we got we to gotta get somebody in here now. Yeah. And so that was the first thing is slowing it down and looking for things way ahead of time, taking way more time than, than I actually thought it would or should take previously. But Mm -hmm. now I know that that's a much better way to do it. Yeah. It gives you confidence in the end. And so you talked for a bit and were there formal steps in the interview process as well? I'm still pretty informal. We have some formal steps, but I didn't make her take a personality test or anything like that. But even some of the things like she showed drive because she was contacting us. Mm -hmm. She was asking about things that she could read to improve and get up to speed. I know that she's listened to a bunch of lawyers podcasts. <laughs> oh, that see, she's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But she actually has, which is great. She watched some YouTube videos from CleoCon, I know. So she's always looking to improve. She has some drive on her own. She's super reliable, super friendly. She's great. And so it was to get back to your question, it was still somewhat informal, mm-hmm. but I had boxes that I wanted checked. And it took me six or eight months to to make sure that those were checked. Mm. And I was probably a little more cautious because of the previous experience. But then it also, when she was here, her onboarding and training experience was much better than we'd given the, yeah. the previous team member. Are you already thinking about your next hire? Yes, the next hire is a lawyer, yeah. which is a little scary. And do you already have a candidate in mind that you're talking with? Or is that just still, you know, you'll do it when in the time is right? I know I'll do it when the time is right. But I've started talking with people knowing that I need probably six to eight months of lead time in, yep. in my process. So you're planning on doing something similar where you want to get to know somebody over time, feel good about them checking the boxes before you try and bring them in. Absolutely. Very yeah, cool. that's exactly right. So we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about the other way that you bring people into your firm through intake. So we'll be right back. Longtime podcast listeners and lawyerist readers know that Sam and I get pretty excited about email productivity tips, but we know that most people don't have the time or energy to be email productivity nerds like us. So it's great that SameBox will take care of fixing your inbox for you. I've used SameBox for a while now, and it automatically organizes your incoming email into smart folders so you don't have to be overwhelmed by a busy inbox and don't have to see important client emails next to junky coupon offers, distracting you from the work you need to do. 
Best yet, SaneBox learns with you, so if you find it puts something in the wrong folder, just move it, and SaneBox will automatically learn your preference. It also has nifty features like Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again. It's so simple, you won't need to learn anything to use it. It just takes care of everything itself. SaneBox works directly with every single email server or service that has ever been created, so it will definitely work for you. Get a free two-week trial and a $25 credit by visiting samebox.com slash lawyerist today. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash lawyerist. A legal-only call center, Alert Communications has been helping law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake for over 50 years. Alert responds to and captures all leads for your law firm efficiently using their highly trained intake specialists and software solutions. They work 24-7, 365 as an extension of your law firm in both English and Spanish. Alert strives to set best practice standards within the mass tort legal community by using ethical ideals, in turn elevating the quality of client services and earning the trust of attorneys. To find out how Alert can increase your mass tort or class action lead conversion rates, call 844-MY-INTAKE or find them at alertcommunications.com. With Ross Intelligence, lawyers conducting legal research leverage AI to get to the heart of legal issues fast. Ask a query in natural language on the Ross Legal Research Platform, and Ross will return on-point case law. Attorney Jonathan Udoka says he's able to use Ross as though it were a first-year associate doing top-flight legal research. At $89 a month, Ross is not only fast and intuitive, it's also affordable. See what Ross can do. Go to rossintelligence.com lawyerist today and get a 14-day free trial. Use the promo code lawyerist for 10% off your first-year subscription. Okay, we're back. So Ben, we were talking about hiring. And in some ways, I think the client, the marketing, the client interview, the intake process is maybe not a mirror, but it is a similar thing, but for the customers that you want to have, the clients that you need to have. And you have a smart approach to using intake to set expectations and frame the client experience. So I'd like to hear more about your philosophy on this and your process on that. Well, the first thing I'll say before I get into it is I don't think that there's necessarily a right way and a wrong way to do it. There's mm -hmm. just, I have a certain way that I want it done and it fits my vision for the firm and how I like to practice because there are actually people I've spoken to who have very different views on this subject. And it doesn't mean that I'm right and that person's wrong or vice versa, just that it's different. That's a very Canadian disclaimer for you to lead with. <laughs> but it, you're right, though. That's like, true. The whole point of thinking in a client-centered way is figuring out what is going to be the right way for you to work with your clients. And so you're fully right. Like There are a lot of different ways to do everything in a law firm. It just has to work for you and for your clients and what your needs are together. And so the first thing, well, my wife used to work as a dental assistant. Mm -hmm. She worked for an orthodontist. And so I've heard you and Aaron talk about mm -hmm. this. And, mm -hmm. and we'd actually, uh, Allison and I have talked about this before I'd heard you guys discuss it on the podcast. But we really have this idea that a law firm could be more like a dental practice where staff and hygienists and assistants are doing a lot more of the work and the dentist or the lawyer pops in for what they're actually there to do where they really add value mm -hmm. and then they're out and the staff handles a lot of the other stuff because frankly, they're much better at it. Mm -hmm. And so that was <laughs> kind of the basis for it. And so one of the things that I know Stephanie really likes about our intake process is 
that I don't take unscheduled phone calls, which I don't think is uncommon. Yeah, but the way you do it is superior to a lot. I mean, like sometimes I get a, a lawyer's answering machine and it says, sorry, I don't answer my phone. I return phone calls between 11 and 2, which is always a little bit jarring. And, you know, so oh, mine doesn't say that. Right. No, so it doesn't say that. Set this so up. <laughs> it goes back to the number one complaint against lawyers is that they don't get back to you. Mm -hmm. And so people do want to get through. They want to talk. They want to know that their matter is being handled. Mm -hmm. And so the first part of that is we make sure that somebody answers the phone. We have a live person answering the phone and we have a very detailed phone script, phone diagram that Sherry follows, kind mm -hmm. of a decision tree. If, you know, if they say A, then we go this way and this is what I do and this is what I say. And are there emergencies where you will get the call transferred to you and pick up the phone? There are. And sometimes we have a transaction closing mm -hmm. and I'll tell Sherry, hey, we're closing this deal and this client will be calling. You can put them through today. Gotcha. Otherwise, she can pop into my office and ask me. But the thing that I think we do that's a little more unique is we try and turn it around and pitch it to the client and explain why it's good for them that I don't take unscheduled phone calls. And my philosophy behind that is nobody gives a shit about you. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse my language. They just, everybody is, goes around and they're thinking about themselves. Nobody's walking around thinking about, oh, I hope that my lawyer's day today is, is good and they're mm -hmm. calm and not chaotic. No, they, they're thinking I have an issue and I need this dealt with right? They, they're thinking about their one matter, not the 80 matters that I'm dealing with that day. Right. And so with marketing and with intake or with scheduling phone calls, I think the key to any of it is to turn around and focus it back on the client and explain why it's good for them. And so, so I'm curious, how do you explain that? Well, we've spent the last few months putting it into our welcome package as part of it. And what it really is, is if, if I'm working on Sam's file, do you want me to drop everything anytime the phone rings and anytime somebody calls? Mm -hmm. You probably don't. Right. And you can go look up any study on multitasking, which really is, you know, if you're answering phone and answering the email every time something dings or rings, you're really just multitasking, right? Yeah. And you lose efficiency. You are more likely to make errors, which is another downside for the client. Uh, and if it's scheduled, they know that it will be taken care of and they know when it will be taken care of. Yeah. And so I do not miss my scheduled phone calls. That's a good way to explain it. It seems quite intuitive. <laughs> I think it makes sense. It just, we often make the mistakes of saying, oh, well, if I'm answering phone calls, I can't get anything done. Mm -hmm. And if you frame it that way, the client probably doesn't care. Yeah. Because I think that's how we all think. Yeah. Tell me more about your intake process though. Like, is this an in-person thing? Is it a conversation over the phone? Is it a series of things? Is it an email campaign? What is involved in this? Well, it's a series of things. We have email campaigns for the marketing, kind of that initial engagement. But when we're talking about intake, I consider that once the client has made contact with us, either through email or through the phone. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're past a drip campaign. We're on to they're contacting us because they want to know the price or they're they're ready to move ahead. And so it starts there. They don't get a hold of me right away. It all goes through Sherry. Things get scheduled. So right off the bat, the client is already learning that this is how we operate. Right. That I'm not available 24-7, but I am available and we get things done. It's just very, very scheduled. And so it starts there. We book. I don't do free consultations. I'll do a free 15-minute phone call and yeah. I typically don't give any advice. It's just assessing 
the client, whether it's a good fit for both of us. And then at that point, it can go one of two ways. It can go to a paid consult at that point, in which case I'll transfer them back to Sherry. She'll schedule it. They come in and we go from there. That's not even we're hired to do the file. That's just yeah. they pay to come in and do the one hour consult. Mm-hmm. And then the other way, certain matters, if I can know in the 15 minute phone call that, well, we don't even need to meet, we can just go ahead and do this. And so at that point, we could be sending the retainer letter, getting the client info and we're going on the file. I'm curious, what do you, so sometimes I talk to solos, especially who say that part of the value that they're offering is that the client can reach them and always get the attorney on the phone. What's your thoughts on that compared to how you do it? Well, that's why I think that when I started this by saying my very Canadian statement that there's not a right (laughs) way. or a wrong way. I think that there are people, lawyers out there that that's the value they're offering is I'm available. I'll jump on it. And I think there are certain practice areas where you really need that. Hmm. I'm in a practice area where there's not real emergencies, not very often. Sometimes we have a transaction closing, but usually if something's a rush, it's because the client has put it off and put it off and then has brought us in too late. But there's not really emergencies in what I do, which is part of why I chose this practice area. Right. And so I think that's part of it. And like Jan Glassman is a good example who you've had on the podcast where For sure. she and I had a discussion where uh, we were talking about this and she says, oh no, I pick up the phone. And I think that's great. And that's probably right for her practice if that's what her clients value. Right. And I think we here emphasize other things. I try to emphasize other things and add value these other ways. And I don't think it's always the client needs to talk to you right that second. Right. It's just they need to know or they want to know that they're, they've been heard, that their matter will be handled, that things are progressing, and that's what they need. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean that I pick up my phone every time they call. Well, and I suppose part of this is like your hiring process. It's trying to figure out if this client is a good fit for this firm. And if it's a client who needs to know that they can call their lawyer any time of the day or night and always get the lawyer on the phone, then it's just not a good fit for your firm. And I I know I've met many lawyers who are really uncomfortable with the idea that they would ever say no to somebody who's willing to write them a check, but it sounds like you are. And you've decided how you're going to work because you know you can be a great fit for certain kinds of clients with certain expectations, especially if you frame that well up front and you're willing to not be the lawyer for people who don't want to work that way. Yeah, that's right. And we have red flags in our intake process where there are certain things that we're looking for. And one red flag doesn't necessarily mean that the client isn't a good fit. But it's an indicator that they might not be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And if there's enough red flags, then we do send them somewhere else. And I have said no to clients where the work is exactly the work that we do in the firm, but the client is just not a good fit because they're either too pushy, too demanding, rude to staff is that's an absolute no, a hard no. And so you just... You have those things that help you evaluate whether a client's a good fit, like you're saying. So one of the things that I've become pretty sensitive to recently is that whenever somebody has a really clearly defined process for something or a system for doing something that feels too good to be true, I always want to know where does it break down. (laughs) So so I'm curious, where have been the failures in your intake process? Well, we so today, I'll admit that today I took a phone call that wasn't scheduled Mm -hmm. because it was a client. It was a rush. Today's Friday. I don't take calls on Friday at all mm-hmm. for meetings. But I didn't have anything hard scheduled other than this. We were doing some billings and some other admin stuff today. And so I had the time. He was in a rush. 
I really like the guy and I gave him a call. So I broke my own rules. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you placed the call. You, you really made an unscheduled call. Well, he called and Sherry booked something for Monday and he said, well, Monday might be too late, but let's get it in there. And then I gave him a call. That actually seems like a nice way to break your own rules, though, and delight a client along with it. So, well, and and that's the surprising thing is when we've had clients where you know they're told, okay, well, I'll schedule you, but this is the first time that I have, and they need it sooner, and then I'm able to get back to them sooner. They're really happy about it, right? And so it's not a negative against us. It's actually they're really delighted by it, like you said. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Ben, thank you so much for being with us today and talking about intake and using values in hiring. And we will obviously include a link to your website in the show notes. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. Thanks a lot. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers. And I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me. And let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.